0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with him, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Amen. Thanks, Kim. Well, it's been a a tough week. And uh, yeah, it's um, somewhat surreal to think about what took place at the Capitol this week. And so um, I just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to address it. And I think the best thing I could say came from a, a quote I. Um, I think someone from our. I, I've been sharing a lot of things back and forth. People have been sending me things, and I've been sharing things too. Um, I don't remember who shared this with me. I think it might have been um, Rob Stinky, but could have not been. Anyway, um, Christianity Today article by Tish Warren, and she says this. So what are we to do? How can we move forward as Christians when it seems our very churches have become the epicenters of post-truth? How can we walk in the way of Jesus when his illumination has been traded for conspiracy theories and apocalyptic scare tactics? How do we embody beautiful orthodoxy, truth, and light when the long shadow cast by a cross, under the long shadow cast by a cross draped in a MAGA flag on the Capitol lawn. We have to take up the slow work of repair, of reforming our churches around the deep, unchanging truths of the light of Christ. We must reconstruct communities where we can know and speak truth, serve the needy and the poor, love our neighbors, learn to be poor in spirit, Rejoice in suffering and witness to the light of Christ amid darkness. This is the important paragraph for us here. This work will be frustratingly small and local, under the radar, and away from the headlines. It will feel paltry and unimportant in the face of the raging nations and widespread ecclesial and national decay. It will be long, risky, and uncertain. But in that meek and humble place, perhaps with the Magi, like we thought about at Christmas, we can find the small star that leads us to the true light of the world. So what I'd love to say is let's just keep doing what we're doing. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Um, the Vine Church is not going to be a church that is going to veer in the direction of what we saw at the Capitol or those that have those beliefs. Um, We would say that that is not Christian. Um, So much to be said there, but just in case anyone's wondering, uh, that's not the the direction we're headed as a church, okay? Um, We are going to talk about politics sometimes, If the Bible warrants it, um, we are, as far as I'm concerned, always going to be a church that is very pro-life as far as I'm concerned. Um, and our elders are concerned. We're always going to hold the line on, uh, gender and sexuality as the Bible presents it. Um, but we're not going to go in the direction of what we've seen. I think that should be clear, but just let me state that as, as clear, um, by what is swirling around with people that would say they embrace similar convictions as us when it comes to the typical Republican issues or whatever. Um, But they're steering in a direction that is anti-Christian when it comes to violence and mingling of the Confederate flag with Christianity somehow and all of that garbage. So um, I just want to say that in case anybody's wondering. um, We are going to keep doing what we're doing. And that is we're going to adhere to God's word we're going to preach God's word. We're going to believe God's word. We're going to love God's word. We're going to ask through prayer for more and more fruit of the spirit and the help of the spirit as we seek to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. That's what we're about. And that's what Tish in this quote is asking. Just keep doing it. And it's going to be small and it's going to be local and it's going to be under the radar. But um, that's what the church has always been. I mean, the Roman Empire was set on fire uh, as it was crumbling. And I'm not predicting that the United States is equivalent of the Roman Empire and this is the downfall of our country. That's not it at all. But my point is the church just did the simple work, small, local, day after day perseverance. And the Roman Empire is gone. The church is still here. So whatever happens with the United States isn't really our concern as much as the kingdom of God is our concern. Okay, so we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Make disciples, plant churches, stay faithful, love people. All right, and we're going to pray. And there's a prayer meeting tonight, every Sunday night, almost every Sunday night on Zoom. Find the link. Um, I would encourage you to make it a priority. Uh, I'm making it a priority because I need it, right? Um, And sometimes it's just me and Linda Johnson that show up. (laughs) Linda, what's up? Love you. Um, it's not like you get points for showing up at the prayer meeting. And so if you don't show up, it's okay. But I'm just saying it's one avenue that um, we can continue our discipleship, especially in crazy times. Um, but even when times are crazy, show up and pray and give thanks and, and be reminded um, of all the things that we need to give thanks for um, and praise God for. So prayer meeting tonight at eight, if, if you if you can make it, um, if you can't, no guilt, no shame. Uh just pray some other time and make a commitment to it, all right? All right, so let's open up our Bibles to Matthew 18. Um, because of our doing this at home, we, we use, in my house, um, we have different technologies. So we aren't going to have the little slides that have been happening when we're at church um, in, the, in, the, in the corner. And so just grab your Bible, digital or paper. And open it to Matthew 18 so you can be sure to follow along. Um, Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Now, what we're going to talk about today, in my opinion, is one of the most important and most underemphasized and under-practiced texts in the whole Bible when it comes to the health of the church. And our, our text today deals with what's called church discipline. And that's a really negative term, right? Church discipline. I mean, that just sounds like, you know, grumpy old dudes like coming down on you for having fun or something. I will discipline you. You know, like none of us were like, you know, discipline is is uh, not fun. The book of Hebrews says this. Our fathers disciplined us and it was not comfortable in the moment. That's what Hebrews 12 says. But it's so good. It's so good. And... Man, I, I tell you what, nothing is more excruciating for us as leaders than walking through the church discipline process. Um, and if you've been a part of that, you know that's true. Um, especially in the latter stages, as we'll see, but nothing is maybe more beautiful and more encouraging and potential for joy than stage one. Um, it's, it's so beautiful and it's so good and, and, Everybody practices church discipline, you know, on a regular basis. They just don't think of it that way. But you're going to think, start thinking of it that way after this sermon. Okay. So let's, let's dive in and take a look. Look at verse 15. If your brother or sister uh, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to, to you, you have gained your brother. All right, so first thing I want you to see is the word sin. If your brother or sister sins. So today we're talking about clear sin, okay? We're, we want to do this with sin as God defines it. So how do we do that? Well, we know God's definition of sin um, by the Bible. Taylor, please don't do the Rubik's Cube. Thanks. Um, <laughs> see, there it is. Stage one of church discipline. In the moment, real time. My son is doing the Rubik's Cube while I'm preaching. It's kind of distracting. So I ask him to stop, right? And he does. And we're reconciled and it's all good. Um, there it is. So that's, uh, so we're not talking about preferences as much as it is my preference that he not do his <laughs> Rubik's Cube while I am. Um, so there's another example. And sometimes it's not clear sin. It's like, Hey, we just need to talk about something, right? But the point is the same. You have to talk to the person, right? Um, and so what I'm focusing on here is clear sin. What does the Bible say about sin? Okay. Um, we do it, we do this with Bibles open. So if your brother sins against you, what does it say next? It says go. So focus on the word sin and focus on the word go. Now, this is something we say a lot in, in the Vine culture. And I've emphasized it like crazy in the membership class we don't talk about the person, we talk to the person. Said positively, we talk to the person, not about the person. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not saying go and gossip to other people about how you've been sinned against. No, you go and talk to the person. You don't talk about the person. Now let's think about why this is so important, this going, this word go that we see in verse 15. Go to the person. Well, one reason is there's been many times in my life, and you could probably say the same for your life, where one conversation face-to-face cleared everything up, right? Like what I thought was a sin against me, when I went and talked to the person, oh, I find out I was assuming some things that actually weren't true, and we cleared it up, right? So if I follow the script that Jesus lays out here really clearly, it would protect that person from slander and gossip if I, if I like, like if I would have gone around and just said, yeah, did you hear what this person did against me? Gosh, I can't believe it. That person's such a jerk. What I actually assumed was wrong and I just needed that conversation to clear it up. So talking to the person and not about the person can oftentimes clear things up in a very helpful way. See, gossip always destroys loving one-on-one conversation where, where feelings can be shared is the way of peace and harmony. Listen to what the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deep are the cuts of the one who gossips who runs around whispering, man, do you, you hear what they did to me? Do you hear what they did to me? That doesn't honor the other person. But going to the person and not talking about the person also does something else. It can um, correct wrong assumptions, but it also preserves their dignity. It preserves their dignity. It's not a public confrontation yet, and that can easily put someone on the defensive initially. But first, no, it's in private, not, not, like, not like in a pressured environment where, but, but in an environment where there could be listening, question asking, responding, give and take. Oh, I thought this, oh no, that actually wasn't correct. Oh, I thought you said this, no. Oh man, your tone of voice led me to think this, but I it was that your intention? Oh no, that wasn't your intention? Oh, okay, cool. See how this works? So when you're sinned against, we're not called. Jesus doesn't say, if a brother or sister sins against you, go and sulk. Or go and bury it and be bitter. Or go and tell someone else about it. Now, he doesn't say any of that. He says, go to the person. But again, keep in mind here the category of sin, not just preferences. Like, I would prefer if you like serve something else for dinner, mom. Well, that's not a sin issue, right? Now, maybe we can have that conversation, but let's just be clear, we're not talking about sin and we're not talking at that point about church discipline. We're just talking about talking. We're just talking about having a conversation and hearing one another, right? There's a big difference, okay? It's important to keep that in mind. Am I in the area of preference here? Am I in the area of sin here? Think about why this is so important in our lives think about why jesus would spend time talking about this like if if i found out that my wife or some of my closest friends were talking about me and not to me about my sin and that brings a deep sense of betrayal does it not that hurts i can't think of anything more hurtful it also happens like this, like when, when you say, like maybe you'll come um, and say to someone, man, people are saying, uh, this happens to church leaders a lot. Like, well, lots of people are saying, blah, 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 blah. Well, what am, I, what am I supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? Who are those people? And why aren't those people coming to us? And that, that information is just so nondescript, it's hard to be actionable Is people like just two people or is people like 200 people? So if people are saying, meaning there's a group talking about something in reference to the church, or people are saying at the office in reference to the boss or whatever, what you should do when you're in that group of people saying is look to all those other people and say, you know what? We need to go talk to that person. We need to go talk to that person. And uh, for me personally, as a church leader, that's happened a lot. Even in the last year, I've had some great conversations with people that came and, and came to me and asked me very direct questions. What does the Vine Church believe about this? What about this? I'm confused about this. And they came directly to me and I, I think it went really well. That happens all the time. So don't be a part of the group that says people are saying. Just go and say to the person, right? Um, we just have to treat others the way that we want to be treated. We all don't like to be talked about do we? We like to be talked to. That shows respect. That shows love. And so Jesus is just asking us to treat others the way, treat others in the body, in the church. He's talking about the church here. Treat others in the church the way that we would want to be treated. All right. Let's consider another angle. Okay. This is is deep. So we got to look at it from a, a lot of angles and there's a lot at stake. When we talk about people and not to people, think about this. Thirdly, we rob someone of the opportunity to be sanctified. Let me say that again. When we talk about and not to, we rob that person of the opportunity to be sanctified, opportunity to grow in holiness, opportunity to repent and turn and be changed. See, when someone points out our sin and we repent, we usually grow from that, right? Like a, a few years ago, I was confronted by a leader at our church wh- where I worked, uh, at a church in Albuquerque, um, and that really stuck with me to this day. I can think of key examples when I was in high school with my dad, where he confronted me, and that stuck with me to this day. Uh, I can think of a, t- a key time in my 20s. I can think of a key time in my 30s. I can just talk about my marriage, um, where Kim and I do this for each other, See, when we're confronted and like we see our sin, like, like we assume that others can see. I have blinders. I need someone to help me see. I can't see myself omnisciently. I don't even know my own heart. The heart is deceitful. And someone comes and they say, Hey, maybe you should consider this. And I do, or you do. And we grow from that, right? We grow from that. They provided an opportunity for me to grow. And, and I think I'm not what I once was. A lot of that is comes from these kind of conversations. But, if, but that, if that never happens, if it's only talking about the person and not to the person, then those opportunities are not made plain. And then that person is robbed of the opportunity to grow, right? So being sinned against here is in view. And in that case, we go to the person and we don't talk about the person to others, right? It brings that person dignity. It cuts the heart out of gossip. And it gives the person the opportunity to grow and change and be a blessing. All right, so let's keep reading. Verse 15, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So what's the goal here? The goal here is restoration. Gaining your brother or your sister. Jesus does not say, you've shamed back your brother, or you've shown up your enemy. So this is never a witch hunt. This is never some competition about who can be right and who can be wrong. The goal here is restoration in the Christian community. See, unrepentant sin can't be tolerated. But when there is repentance, restoration is celebrated, right? The goal here is repentance, forgiveness, and restoration, period. That's the goal. And what did we just read in the text last week? That God loves his people. The metaphor was shepherd and a sheep. And if even one is lost, man, that's a big deal. He wants to see that that restored. He loves his church. He wants all to be restored. And so that should be our heart. Like we're shepherding people and if people veer off, we love them. We want them to be restored. So this isn't a condemning, you have to go sit in the naughty corner and just stay there and you have like the, the scarlet, you know, the scarlet letter. The goal is restoration, just like the gospel, right? Jesus pursued us in the gospel while we were yet sinners. He died for us because he loves us. So we model that when we pursue others in their sin. Make sense? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 16. But this is where it gets hard. This is where it gets trickier and more challenging. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So think about this. This is a very important aspect that doesn't jump off the page, but it does kind of jump off the page if you're thinking about it. Um, one of the things I see here is this process is patient. He doesn't rush from step one to step four. Right? It's a process. We have to, this is a catchphrase in, in sports culture, trust the process. To trust the process. Another thing I say a lot is we have to follow the script. I mean, just follow the script. Emotions are high. I don't know what to do. I get it. I've been there a lot. Trust the process. Follow the script. Just look at what Jesus says here. Give him a shot. By faith, believe his word. And part of what is built in here is, this is my point, patience. See that? It's There's four steps here. So we got to be patient. It's not one strike and you're out. And Jesus doesn't give a firm timetable either. That's going to demand wisdom and prayer and seeking counsel on on the pace, right? But it is clear that, that God is a patient God. He's steadfast, loving us with a steadfast love, loving kindness, patient, not willing that any should perish, right? So why go with another person? Step two. Well, because it brings more objectivity usually. Um, and it also communicates seriousness. Like, it's just not me against you. But no, like, this is serious and other people believe it's serious too. It brings an added weight to the situation. These things are weighty because, like, if there's no repentance, it could be, as we see the progression progress, eternity is at stake. And that's where we go to step three. If he refuses to listen to two or three that are gathered, tell it to the church. So this is why you've seen us in the last, you know, 10 years as a church, three or I think three times now in ten years, um, we've come and we've told this to you. We've we've tried to follow verse 17. We've told it to the church. Someone who's walking in sin without repentance. And we tell it to the church and we say something like, if you see them, please ask them how they're doing. How is their relationship with the Lord? How's their heart? We love you. Please repent of sin. Return. Return to the church. This is assumed in the words, listen even to the church. See that in verse 17? Refuses to listen to them. Tell it to the church. The assumption here is that we would seek our own and ask them to come back. We tell it to the church. The church is intertwined. We have relationships. We care for one another, right? Laurel and Kim just had to do this recently. It's hard. It's not fun. We pursue those that we love. straying sheep. The Lord pursues them. The Lord loves them. He, he asked us as under shepherds to do the same thing. I was part of a situation before moving to Madison at a, at a local church where I worked, where we had to do this with a, a man who was part of our church and he was abusing his family and abusing substances. He was unstable. And at that time, um, he wouldn't respond to us, but we were trying to follow the steps here. And he was living with his mom. We didn't really know how unstable he was. Did he have a gun? And I, I was with another pastor. We were at step two and remember walking up to the door and just being like, man, I don't, I had butterflies. I don't know what to expect. And just saying to the other pastor, man, here we go. Like we're here for the sake of obedience, but obedience to God's word is worth it. And it, he didn't sh- shoot us. Thankfully, he didn't have a gun or anything like that. Um, but it was, it was challenging. It was hard but it was worth it. It was worth it. Obedience is always worth it. It's not always comfortable or easy in the short run, but it's always worth it in the long run. So the church is called to care for their own, and that's why we tell it to the church so we can reach out to that person, so we can be united on our definition of sin. And that's the second aspect I want you to see here. The church has to be united in our definition of sin. And so when we tell it to the church, it's a way of saying, man, we have to take this seriously. And, and, and one of the things that it does in my experience is that it really sobers everybody up in the sense of like, we're all reminded of like, okay, okay, we actually do have boundaries. And for the sake of the purity of the church, we're going to keep those boundaries. And I see in my own heart, tendencies to go off the rails if I'm not careful, if I don't have people helping me, if I don't have God's word helping me. I remember a situation um, with the the former leader of Acts 29. Acts 29 is our church planting network that we're associated with. And the former leader, this is five years ago, maybe six years ago, uh, Mark Driscoll was removed for disciplinary reasons from Acts 29 leadership. And it was very sobering. I remember thinking, man, if that could happen to him, that could happen to me. So I need to take stock of my, I mean, I need to clean up my bedroom. I need to clean up my house. I need to be aware of where, where can I go off the rails? Because I'm not immune from this either. So you always start to ask those questions when you see it happen to someone else. Like, Lord, have mercy on me. I don't want to go that route. But it was very purifying, very sobering. in that sense, it's really good for the church. It reminds us that God's glory in the church is at stake and that that our sin is a big deal. Like we do need to be sobered up. Check out this quote from uh, Frederick Bruner that I came across this week in my study. It's no small matter when a Christian congregation decides in solemn convocation that a person who was once a brother or sister and is still hard-hearted cannot be considered a brother or sister any longer. When the whole assembly participates in this decision, and not just the leaders, the whole assembly experiences the fear of the Lord and the gravity of sin. The disciplining experience may be one of the the important ways that the Messiah will save his people from their sins. So that quote touches on the next part of the verse. Let's keep reading. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? That just means simply excommunication, removed from the community of faith. Okay? But what does this mean? Let him be as to you a Gentile or a tax collector. Well, think about it like this. How did Jesus relate to tax collectors, sinners, Gentiles, if you're a Jewish audience, which the book of Matthew is primarily a Jewish audience, uh, uh, a Gentile is just someone who doesn't know God, someone who's not a part of the community of faith. So how did Jesus relate to those people? Well, he didn't say your sin is no big deal to tax collectors and sinners. Look at what he uh, does with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus clearly repents of his sin. He doesn't say your sin is no big deal. It tells the woman, in John chapter 8, go and sin no more. But he also says, neither do I condemn you. He has fellowship with tax collectors like Zacchaeus. He loved them and he told them the truth. So all this means for us today is to treat someone like a Gentile or tax collector is they're no longer part, we, we, we deem them an unbeliever. And so how do we relate to unbelievers? Well, they can't be members of the church but they're they're, they're candidates now for evangelism, right? This doesn't mean disrespect. This doesn't mean um, uh, looking down on. It just means, man, I love you. And I, I want you to know the Lord. I want you to repent of your sin and turn and trust Jesus. So that's the extent of our text for today. But let me say this, without question, I've never once regretted following the script that the Lord has laid out here. And I think our Lord gives these clear step-by-step instructions because there's so many ways that we can screw up trying to figure out conflict or figuring out someone who's in sin and trying to restore them, right? So many ways for gossip and and harboring bitterness and, and division in the church. But remember, Jesus has a view to his bride. That's what the Bible says, how how Christ relates to his church. It's like how a loving husband relates to his wife, right? So for example, like I love my wife very deeply. Like if you mess with her, you mess with me. And I'm very interested in her health, right? She just tested positive a few days ago for COVID. I'm very interested in that, right? Um, She's doing fine, just in case anyone is wondering. Um <laughs> Uh But the, the point is, you know, I'm very, very interested in her health. If she gets cancer, that's a huge deal for me as her husband, because I love her so much. Very interested in her health. And the point is, Jesus feels the same about his bride, the church, us as a gathering. He longs for the purity, for the lack of sickness, for the health. For there to be chemotherapy and for the tumor to be benign. The health, right, of his wife. And and this text for today is one of the most important aspects of of the great physician trying to help us stay healthy, trying to keep his bride healthy. So I always say, again, like like I already said, I always say, and I want you to remember, We got to follow the script. Another way to say it is we have to follow the great physician's prescription. Got to get a prescription. You got to go to the Jesus Walgreens, get those pills, and down the hatch. Right? Right? I can tell you a hundred horror stories of how relationships are broken when the script is not followed, when the prescription by the great physician is not taken. It just goes like this. It always happens like this. And you, some of you have been around long enough to see this happen, too. People don't go to the person, but gossip starts. And then assumptions are made that are unproven. And they start to be believed. And they get spread. And teams start to get formed. And those teams get solidified. And then we start to believe the worst about each other because we're not talking to each other. We just assume the negative about the other. And the heat gets turned up as time moves on, feelings deepen and become more entrenched and things eventually explode in some fashion, whether it be a a large portion of the church just leaves or there's a, a split, relationships devastated. And remember the analogy, right? The bride's unhealthy behavior makes the husband look really bad. Like you would say, what's the deal with the husband? Like, why would I want that husband around when his wife is so unhealthy? See, if the church is screwed up in so many ways, if there's the cancer of gossip or the cancer of bitterness that's wreaking havoc on the body, what does that say about the husband, didn't he ever take her to the doctor? Didn't he ever like help her and and, and nourish her? See, unbelievers look at us and if they see the bride, the church is toxic and division, like why would they want to be a part of that? That's the point here. We don't want to make the husband look bad. We don't want the bride to look bad. This is all too common in the history of the Christian church. But here's the good news. I've seen this go so well over and over and over again. And what follows is usually stronger relationships that are more united and deepened. Like 95% of the time, if we take this seriously, it just stops at step one. One person has an issue with the other person. They bring it up in a spirit of grace and humility and gentleness, and and things go really well. And it just ends right there. Like if you're married or have kids, you do step one constantly, right? You should be. That's what the Bible assumes. Two sinners living together are going to have to do this. That's why Jesus said it, right? And it's just church uh step one of church discipline. I feel sinned against by you, and I think we need to talk about it right? How many times does that happen in my marriage? All the time. It's normal. It's absolutely normal. And guess what? I'm more in love with my wife today than I've ever been. I can say that for a fact. It hasn't been easy, but it's so good. And it leads to much fruit being bore over the course of years and years, right? We haven't perfectly done it, but we want to do it And as a result, I think our love and commitment to each other is stronger than ever. Because we're just trying to follow the script. Just trying to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. So we're going to obey. We're going to believe and obey, right? Well, the same is true in the family of God. When we love one another to talk to the person, not about the person, relationships have a chance to grow and deepen. God knows what he's talking about in his word, Right? So we believe him. Let's do it. It will make, just like the marriage analogy, it will make our church that much stronger. So let me end with this, just super practical. There's a line I want you to memorize, okay? That's just going to provide some healthy boundaries for us as a church. Just a simple line that you can say to yourself or you can say to someone else. And here's the line I want you to memorize. Like I use this line quite a bit in the last 10 years of pastoring um, our church and hearing people come to me with concerns about someone else. And here's all I say, here it is. Ready? It's revolutionary. It sounds like you need to go talk to that person. It sounds like you need to go talk to that person. Man, I, I just had that experience this week. Sounds like you need to go talk to that person. Memorize it. Use it. Protect the glory of Jesus' bride through saying it. Now, notice the contrast from saying, wow, that person sounds like an idiot. Tell me more. This is some juicy gossip. That's not what we're shooting for. That will be a path of destruction. And no one says that, right? But we say that in our hearts. So that is the path of destruction, saying, it sounds like you need to go talk to that person, that's the pathway of life, because Jesus Jesus has told us so. Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels, they go down to the innermost parts. Man, it's a temptation there. We fight against that temptation when we say, man, it sounds like you need to go talk to that person. It sounds like you need to go talk to that person. Every single one of us listens to people um, with concerns about somebody else. All of us do it. We've got to start saying more often, it sounds like you need to go talk to that person. Because that's where the healing begins. Because Jesus promises it. His word is true. We can trust it, right? Let me close with this. There's a lot of room here for defensiveness, right? Let me say it differently. There's a lot of opportunity here for defensiveness. But there's no room for defensiveness. See, the gospel has already outed us as sinners, right? That's how you became a Christian. You had to confess that you were a sinner. So why be defensive if, if my sin shows up in relationships and, I, and I'm called to repentance? It should be just normal, right? I should assume that that's probably going to have to happen. So I don't have to be defensive. I'm already assuming it. It's part of my expectations. Well, you might say, it's not always that cut and dry. Yep, that's real life. I get it. That's life. But at least we can h- be humble and entertain the possibility of having sinned and assume we have blinders on and we can't see ourselves perfectly and have the willingness to listen and seek to understand what someone else is saying. Let me close with this quote. What a blessed community would be ours if we followed Jesus' counsel. Everyone would seek the lost and everyone would seek to restore those who have sinned against them. Leaders would assist with the hardest tasks of discipline and restoration, knowing the Lord is with them. Throughout, we would seek his healing grace for others And as we do, we would consider again, the mercy he showed us when he welcomed us into his presence, despite our sin. Amen. Um, I'm going to at this time, put my wife on the spot and she's going to come and give a testimony Um, because I think there's a, a brief story she could tell about this happening with her friend, Carrie in Albuquerque. Um, for those of you who are completely mortified right now, uh, Kim knows that, uh, or we know that Kim's not afraid to be put on the spot. And so, uh, and you're really good at sharing these kind of things. So why don't you share with the vine, just, um, that experience you had with this kind of thing in a relationship in, in our old church.
0: Yeah, this was the foundation, like a, a memorable experience for me. Um, honestly, I can go back to this experience. And it was with a friend in Albuquerque. Um, we're both young moms, um, kind of running in a group of other um, women, um, our stage of life. And I I don't even remember what I was saying, but I was struggling with a friendship kind of um, with this other friend. And I went to my friend thinking I'm going for counsel, right? That's, that's always the like start of gossip many times, right? I need counsel. Um, but I basically was just kind of sharing, like, do you share this struggle within this friendship and, and, um, what do I do about this? And she just gently looked at me and just said, I, I, I feel like this is gossip. And I, I don't remember her words, but the point was like, I don't want to gossip about our friend. And it sounds like you need to talk to her. Um, and so that, you know, while it was really hard to hear and very humbling, um, it was true. Um, and it really stuck with me of, um, just having her be so courageous, um, to call out my sin and care enough that there, for my heart, um, but also that there would be no division, um, in our church and among our friendships and that we would truly love one another. And that took a ton of courage for her. Um, to confront me in that way, but she did it gently and lovingly, and um,
1: and you remember it, and I remember it, <laughs> yeah. and
0: I'll carry with it um, always.
1: Yeah, carry I think it. a good caveat here is something that I didn't say that we talk about a lot, oftentimes too, is just um, it's not always wrong to seek counsel. Like, am I like I might come to Kim, or I might come to uh, one of the elders, or I might come to Laurel and say, like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Am I off track here? Because maybe I'm the one that's off track. And they would say, yeah, you're off track. I wouldn't go talk to that person. Um, uh, or, yeah, I think you're on the right track. And now you need to go talk to that person. Um, and here's two things for you to think about as you go. Like, that's always been preferable. But where sin really happens is if you don't go talk to the person. Right? And if you make that seeking counsel way too broad. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Or if you're really seeking, I like, just really want someone to commiserate with me. I don't really want someone to teach me or tell me truth. I really want them to just commiserate and say, oh, I'm sorry. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Right.
1: Um, All right. Well, enough uh, spontaneity here, (laughs) and uh, we'll progress with our service. Okay.